As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. It will be a nervous 90 minutes for a man who won in Munich's Olympic Stadium. And very nearly in the San Siro in Milan. But the Mike Walker choice is positive, giving last week's team the chance to get them out of trouble. Good evening. Police in Gloucester tonight discovered what they believe are the remains of two more bodies in the cellar of a house in the city. Wimbledon's coach was burnt out last night at their team hotel in what the police are describing as suspicious circumstances. Right-wing parties in South Africa have confirmed that they'll boycott the country's first multiracial elections next month. The decision was taken in Pretoria at a meeting of the Africana People's Front, an alliance of groups demanding self-rule for whites. No penalty! Handball! Handball by Anders Lindbach! In America, the Clinton administration was shaken today with the resignation of the president's chief White House lawyer in connection with the Whitewater property affair. Unsworth, two together, and Ablitz cannot keep it out. Clark gets the congratulations of the Wimbledon players. The fact that two went to head the same ball was the cause of that goal. 
Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, and joining me as always, Jonathan Wilson. And joining us is James Corbett, author, founder, and principal of Decoubertown Books and correspondent for OffThePitch.com. James, pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. Now, we go back to Goodison Park on the last day of the 1993-94 Premiership season. Everton 3, Wimbledon 2, the great escape. James, why have you chosen this game? I think because it it was it was the sort of consummation of my love for Everton. <laughs> so I sort of had this um foolish expectation that Everton would win everything because because I was I was first taken to the game in 1985. They narrowly missed out on the league and cup double to Liverpool that year and then went on and won the league title and I still, you know, believed wholeheartedly in Everton even even when they went into decline under Colin Harvey. And uh, Howard Kendall in his, in his second period. By the end of the ninety three ninety four season, uh, Mike Walker's manager, and there's this precipitous decline from mid table to the relegation places. But I still believed that they would stay up, no matter how bad they were. I, did, I just couldn't, for the life of me, imagine that they would go down. And the game itself was probably the most dramatic <laughs> and weirdest I've ever I've ever been to. Uh, weird because they were redeveloping the park stand at Goodison at the time, so there was um, there was just an empty void at the end, and you could see over into Stanley Park. Um, in that on on that on that day in particular, you could see people climbing the trees to get a view of the game, <laughs> um, and this this free sided ground was alternatively very very eerie and just a cacophony of noise and chaos mm. yeah it, i mean it was an incredible day last day of the season jonathan a number of teams could be relegated yeah so there's four teams could have joined i mean Oldham and swindon were already down uh four teams could mm-hmm. have joined them and everton were a point behind uh, ipswich Sheffield united and southampton and four teams went down in those days no three went down oh was it three sorry yeah yeah, yeah. so uh even a win might not have been enough uh, but they certainly had to get a win to give themselves a chance. Yeah, uh, which they did. Uh, but you know, as you were saying, James, you know, Everton in the nineteen eighties were, were incredible. You know, league titles and FA Cup wins and, and so on and so forth. So there was great expectation. But into the nineties, as you mentioned earlier, it wasn't working out for them really. No, it wasn't. Um, Howard Kendall left as manager in nineteen eighty seven, and Colin Harvey was the popular choice to take over, and he still had the core of the team but you know quality players were drifting away because of the European man they'd obviously lost the manager because of that Harvey was given lots and lots of money um, he bought Tony Cotty for a British record transfer fee um, he bought players like Pat Nevin um, Stuart McCall but none of them were quite as good as the players they came in to replace and there was a rift in the dressing room between the old guard, um, people like Graham Sharp and Kevin Ratcliffe, and the new players. Um, you also had the club in a bit of a state of flux because the club's patriarch, John Moores, was nearing the end of his life. There was um, Moores, Moores had either been chairman himself or had had Littlewood's executives running the club. Um, throughout the 60s, 70s and 80s but by the early 90s it was a local GP who was chairman um, and he was there b- seemingly because he was John Moores' bridge partner <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, 
yeah, I mean, he was an Everton supporter, but he didn't he didn't have that sort of um, business dynamism that someone like Sir Philip Carter had had. Um, so there was no money coming into the club. The crowds had started to drift away, and although Everton had been one of the the key drivers behind the Premier League um, or the creation of the Premier League, they seemed least adept to adapt to this to this new environment. Yeah, but Goodison Park, they're having some what of a facelift, as you say, because the stand behind the goal was was not there during this game. That's correct, yeah. yeah, yeah. It had been knocked down earlier in the season. Uh-huh. And it seemed to symbolise the club at the time, <laughs> to, to be honest. You know, you'd go, you'd go every 10 days or two weeks and a bit more would be knocked down and... <laughs> Uh, you know, by the time by the time by the time of the Wimbledon game, it had absolutely been flattened. Yeah, and previous seasons in the early nineties, talking about the decline, Jonathan Everton, they they had been dropping off. Um, they were sort of top half, it was sort of sixth place or whatever it was, it was ninth, and then dropping off, and then they were sort of thirteenth, I think, or around there the season before, and you could see this decline. Yeah, you could. I mean, it's it's sort of it's quite striking when you think that Everton, as you say, were one of the five key drivers behind the formation of the Premier League. Or premiership, and then you look at this team, yeah, and that doesn't look like a top five team. No, uh, it looks quite a long way off being a, a top five team. I mean, obviously, you know, Cotty had been great at West Ham and never really worked for him in the same way at Everton. Southall, I guess, is you know, an all time great keeper, but not the goalkeeper he'd been sort of six or seven years earlier. Um, Dave Watson coming towards the end of his his career. It's a it's a pretty sort of mix and match so you know Anders Limpa obviously hugely skillful but again not what he'd been in his Arsenal heyday um, and and then the the sort of the thing that you know the club that sort of showed up everybody at the time is Wimbledon they they played horrible football they were horrible to play against they are horrible to watch finished sixth this season yeah you know, even in 88 the sort of a supposed fairy tale of uh, FA Cup they did finish seventh in the league that season. Yeah, it's a remarkable a team. It's that... a fairy tale in the sense of the resources and where they come from, but they were a team who kind of you know had consistently over the season proved themselves to be a decent side in in, in eighty seven eighty eight, and you know this team, it, it's a it's a there's a lot of big players in there. It's a very physical side, but you've got players like Robbie Earl who are proper footballers as mm. well. Vinnie Jones as well. Oh, that's a proper footballer. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously Everton had, had not played well at all that season. They found themselves in, in, in trouble. I mean, why was that? Was this decline of players and so on? Was there sort of pressure getting to them? I mean, what were the, what were the sort of real reasons for the, for the season in particular, James? Well, I think they won their first three games of that season um, and actually went top and then lost the next three. And... It was it was one of those seasons where I don't think they were set for anything other than mediocrity. But Howard Kendall had fallen out with David Marsh, the aforementioned um, bridge playing chairman, um, because he was not given the funds to sign Dion Dublin, and Howard just left, mm. had enough. And Dion Dublin had uh, you know, playing brilliantly for Cambridge at the yeah, time, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. ends up going to United instead. Mm. Yeah, and he and he and he played a part with you. I mean. He'd, He'd broken his leg previously, but he'd also played a part when United won their first title in, was it 26 years? Um, you know, he'd, yeah. he'd, he'd come in. And he was versatile as well. He could play at centre-back. So it, he would have been a very good signing. He did very well at Coventry, did very, very well at Villa, played for England as well after after that. So Howard had walked out, and against that backdrop, um, Moores had died a couple of months earlier, so there was a takeover battle for the club between... Bill Kenwright, the fitter, and Presario, and Peter Johnson, the the, the Tranmere chairman, 
and nobody was making decisions. And I think they went six weeks without appointing a new manager. They had Jimmy Gabriel as caretaker, and he lost all six of his games in charge over the Christmas period. And from being ninth, they suddenly find themselves teetering around the bottom. Yeah. And Mike Walker, the Norwich manager, came in and had an initial bounce. Um, but the club just couldn't couldn't build on that. Well, Mike Walker's a really odd case in that he obviously did a brilliant thing at Norwich. And you know, the season when Norwich were you know, in the title race until sort of well, April. It was a game when they lost 3-1 at home to United when it finally sort of tipped United's way. And then they have the following season when they, you know, they're going great guns in Europe and they're beating Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of couldn't do it any, anywhere else. He had sort of two seasons yeah. and that was it. And you know, he didn't, never seemed a comfortable fit at Everton. So it seemed fans sort of turned on him pretty quickly. Uh, I don't, well, I don't actually know that they did turn on him. I think I think there was a belief in him being a promising young manager, and Norwich played really good football. I suppose I suppose if you want a comparison, um, Norwich were a bit like w- uh, Wigan under Roberto Martinez, in that they played this fantastic attacking football but couldn't defend. So they finished. Did they finish runners up or third? I, I think they finished third with a ne- negative goal well, difference. Yeah, with a negative goal yeah. difference, which is un- unbelievable and 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 tells you an awful lot. Um, Norwich came to Goodison earlier in the 93-94 season and wiped the floor of Everson. They won 5-1. F and a cuckoo ran rings around the defence. <laughs> and I think that probably sent a message to you know, whatever powers there were in the, in, in, in the Goodison boardroom that this was a good manager. Walker came in. As I said, the players didn't like him. They didn't like his training regimes. They didn't like uh, Dave Williams as assistant manager. Um, whereas I think John Dean had been very influential at Norwich as Walker's assistant. He 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 didn't follow him to Goodison. Um, I think did Dean succeed him? I can't remember now. Dean did eventually succeed him, but he he didn't come to Goodison. I think that that had an impact. Um, but you know Walker brought in some good players. Um, you know his his, his 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 track record in the transfer market was pretty good. Um, he brought in Limpar, uh, Joe Parkinson, who was an unknown and who would have probably gone on to play for England for many years had his career not been ended by injury. He later brought in um, Duncan Ferguson, of course, and Daniel Amakachi. Uh, Vinny Samways we won't talk about. That was, <laughs> that was, that was, that was less successful. But he, he could see a good player. Um but he couldn't motivate the players to play the system that he wanted. And so my memory of him is, was of him. I mean, yeah, this is a the memory of sort of sort of how old was I by then? So sort of late teens by then. My, my yeah, my memory was he got to Everton. He suddenly became this incredibly tetchy bloke who was always sort of giving very short TV interviews. And I, yeah, it, it may be I sort of conflated kind of what happened later, but I sort of sense the sense I have is, is sort of like almost immediately was like, well, that's not going to work. Yeah, I don't think he could deal with the pressure very well. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you said there was that six-week period where they didn't have a manager. But Howard Kendall, who's you know royalty around there, a tough act to follow. You know, do you think? Do you think it was just too much for him stepping into those shoes? Possibly. I mean, it was a strong dressing room despite Everton's decline. You know, mm-hmm. you had big, big characters there, like Dave Watson and Neville Southall, Barry Horn, uh, who captain Wales, uh, David Unsworth, who was an up-and-coming player. You know, he was a big personality. And I, I just don't think he could. 
don't think you could come in and handle them. I always think the hardest thing for a manager to do is to step into a dressing room and get yeah. a dozen or 15 young men to believe in them. And he, he couldn't do that. He couldn't. All right. We're going to have a quick break, and after which we'll talk about the match itself. See you in a moment. Graham Stewart to take. He has to score. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramble. Bit of tease from Limpart. Stewart. Stewart again. Yes! Two goals in the match for Graham Stewart. 
Welcome back to Great Scams on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. Now then, let's talk about that sunny afternoon at Goodison Park. Um, as, a, as we say, you know, it was a pretty dire situation for Everton. They needed to win the game and also hope that a few other results went their way. So it's a, the win was obviously... Well, they only needed one of those results to go their way. OK, yeah. But, but the, the win itself wasn't enough. They, they, yeah. they, they did need that. Uh, you know, a, a result or two, of course. And it couldn't have gone any worse than the first 20 minutes, really, could it, for, for, for Everton? Well, no, it couldn't. I mean, before we talk about the game, I just want to talk about the build-up to the game. Oh, yeah, please because, do. Because extraordinarily, it, it wasn't an all-ticket game. And um, I, used, I, was, I was at an age, at that time, 14, 15, where I'd started to go with my mates um, instead of my dad and my grandfather and my uncles. Um, and we all had a thing called a Junior Evertonian card, which you present at the turnstile, and you get a fiver off. So you get into the match for three or four pounds, and at a time when you could earn thirteen quid a week as a paperboy. <laughs> so it was it was it was a pretty good deal. So I I'd gone with my mates, but we, you know, we had no way of buying the tickets beforehand, even if we wanted to. So we said, right, we'll get there early. We'll get there at eleven o'clock. Nobody's going to get there at eleven o'clock. So we, we we walked up to Goodison from Kirkdale Station and there's just thousands of people mm. everywhere and you couldn't you, you literally couldn't move in Ladder Street itself going up to the to the to the terrace. Um So what what would what would the capacity have been with the end not being It not was being it was about thirty two, thirty three thousand. Oh, is it still as big as that, okay. Yeah. But you know, you probably had twelve thousand season ticket holders and then everybody else trying to pay. Yeah, yeah. Paying on the gate four hours beforehand, so um, there were the horseback policemen there, and, and one of the coppers said, "You know, you're not going to get in, lads." So I said, "Well, you know, I, I want to take my chances." And he said, "Well, there's room in the Wimbledon end, but you need to have a Cockney." So we had this dilemma: you know, do we <laughs> abandon the queue? <laughs> and we've been told we're probably not going to get in, or do we go and try and find a Wimbledon supporter? Whenever Wimbledon came to came to Goodison, me and my dad would count the Wimbledon fans because they never had any. You know, they had 50, 60 coming with them. So I said, I said look, there's no chance we're going to find a Cockney. I'll just wait here and um, try and get in. So my mates went off, and that was the last I saw of them that day. <laughs> um, the turnstiles opened early, and I literally got in, and they shut behind me, perhaps two or three other people behind me so I got in by the skin of my teeth but I'm in the ground three hours before kickoff. Um and what do you do um, you know there's no pre-match entertainment or anything don't you have just, a phone to play with no <laughs> no you had a fanzine I had when skies a grey fanzine which was 60 pence and had a, had a very famous just all black cover so I read that and just waited and waited for for Everton to meet their fate um, and then, of course, as you say, the game kicked off, and it couldn't have got off to a worse start. I mean, what an incredible wait that must have been! Was it? What was the feeling? Was it, was it nervous? I mean, you mentioned earlier that people just thought we'll be okay. Well, no, I thought we'd be okay. Okay. Um, and I suppose when you're 15, you don't really think about what other people are thinking. Maybe. Yeah. I just had this sort of sense of invin- of invincibility about things. Oh, yeah. What do you think? I mean, I'm sort of a great believer that it is possible during a game. To get a sense of what's happening, you sort of if you go to enough football, if you've been enough football, you can smell a result. And so, yeah, I, I, in, in Istanbul, I, you know, 
as soon as Gerrard scored, I was certain Liverpool would win the game. Yeah, but that's because Liverpool are in league with the devil. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, may, maybe that's what you smell. Um, but when Sunderland won two one away at Chelsea in one of the great escape seasons, um, and even though Sunderland conceded quite early to Samuel Eto'o goal, I, I had this sense that it'll be fine. We, we've won this. I don't understand why it's going to happen, and it required Conor Wickham to have a game of his life. But I, I do think you can. But England beat in Germany five one away. Under old Sven, like when as soon as they equalised, I thought we'll win and we'll win big. Right, genuinely, it's an odd one. I yeah. know what you mean. Sometimes there is a sense. I mean, and obviously, there's a bit of confirmation bias. You forget the ones when it doesn't work out. Yeah, but I, I, I think it is. It is sort of. It, it's very hard to explain. But if you go, if you've been to, I don't know how many football matches I've been to, a thousand, two thousand, five thousand, however many, you kind of somehow can can read the signs. So, do you think you were doing that, or was it just sort of this naive confidence that? This can't happen to Everton. Well, yeah, partly naive confidence, but years later, I worked with Neville Southall on his autobiography, and it was one of the first things that we talked about, that Wimbledon game. And Neville just said, I never thought we were going to go down. I never, ever, ever thought we were going to go down, no matter what happened. If Wimbledon scored five, we'd score six. (laughs) That sort of thing. And I don't think he sniffed blood. He knew there were going to be days when Everton would win, um, you know, during the glory years or when they beat Man United a year later in the FA Cup. But, um, yeah, he just he just had this sense of invincibility as well. Yeah. Well, four minutes old, the game was, and Everton give away a daft penalty. I mean, it was Andres Limpa who sort of, he handles the ball. Well, the corner comes in, and I, I, I don't know whether it's just sort of Wimbledon terrified teams so much with their physical power. And it is a big team. And he's a small and he, guy. And he sort of, just sticks his hand up and flicks it away. But I mean, yeah. there's no real danger at no, the no, moment. No. It's, it's yeah, it's all I can think is his brain was scrambled by kind of a fear of what Wimbledon could do to you from set pieces. But, but that's what Limpo later told me when I asked. Right. Him about okay. It. He, he sort of, it was it was right in front of me. It was probably no more than ten meters away from me, and he sort of turned. I'm 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 acting it out now in a podcast studio. <laughs> stupid is it? He sort of turned and sort of caught the ball, and. It was almost as if he knew what he was doing. It was just bizarre. And, of course, the referee, Robbie Hart, gives the penalty, um, which Southall gets a hand to, but it's not it's not quite enough. And then Goodison... It's Dean Holdsworth penalty. Yeah. Right, sorry, Robbie Hart was the referee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dean Holdsworth yeah. tucks away the penalty. Um, Worst start you could think of. Yeah, and Goodison went to a hush, and then, you know, the wind starts coming in across the empty <laughs> park stand, and then and then people get galvanised again, and, and they, they start... Um, Start cheering and shouting, but they're they're quickly silenced. Yeah, well, yeah. So, sort of sixteen minutes after. Well, and that. again, it looks like a, a brain scrambled goal. It's yeah. just a long ball in the box. But is Watson and Horn jump into each other? It's definitely it? Watson. Is it Barry Horn jumps into him? Yeah, yeah. there's two Everton defenders who who go it, both go for the same ball. Yeah, it was Gary Ablett who scored the own. Yeah, no, when it comes to Andy Clark, yeah, he's a terrible football player. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's an awful footballer. <laughs> Uh, but it sends it, you know, managed to direct it goalwards, and Ablett kind of trying to kind of hook it out ends up sort of bundling it into his own net. But the reason why it falls to Clark is because the two Everton defenders go up for the header. And yeah, both, but under no pressure. Under no pressure, cancel each other out. Yeah. And he drops to Clark and he says, Well, thanks very much. He hits it. It's probably going to go just wide. And he's given us an own goal because Ablett tries to, to, to you know, sort of def- defend it or, or get rid of it, and it hits him. And it then just loops into the net, and Ablett scrambles back, and he just can't quite get his. It 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 makes it seem so inevitable 
that uh, that Everton, uh, or not inevitable is not the right word. It, it emphasises how they are nervous and struggling, and the the importance of the game is is surely on the, the forefront of their minds, and they and then just not dealing with that. Well, and the other thing you have to think of is the effect that must have had on the other three teams who were in the relegation battle. That they would all have been, mm. yeah, their fans are all there. Their uh, transistor radios like pinned to their ears. Or Everton, the two 0 down from a penalty in an own goal. Yeah, they must have been thinking, "Well, thank They've God for that, it. we're safe." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, but it's still though you're confident, James, at this point. I am confident, and the other th- the other weird thing is, I, I I wasn't conscious of anything that was going on elsewhere in the Premiership that day. Yeah, whether it was, I mean, I didn't have my own transistor radio, but I, I was just seemingly oblivious to any rumours or what other people were telling me. Yeah. But the Ablett own goal was just weird. It, it just seemed to happen in slow motion. Yeah. I, I almost felt like I could jump up my seat and sort of stop it myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, it was so so you probably could have done, yeah. right? I mean yeah. My goodness. Well Because I mean Ablett gets so close to clearing it. Yeah. It's one of those sort of agonizing I think that's the word agonizing. And then they're two nil down and struggling. But then four minutes later Anders Limpart wins a penalty. Well, uh, and he yeah. very much won that penalty. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes. Yes, yes, you would. Say, I mean, would you say it was a dive, or would you say he's he's even a bit more clever? That might be too harsh. Or... He was. He was. He was a clever player in an era before clever players. Yes. You know what I mean? If you saw it now, it would be VAR to death. <laughs> it would. Yeah. And so he's... Peter Fear goes in to challenge yeah. him. So half pulls out the challenge. He's just sort of standing there, and Limpart makes sure his foot hits. Fear's leg and goes over. And we see that all the time now, as you say, James. But back then, he, he yeah he won that. Yeah, I mean, I have to say when when I when you see it from the, the sort of the normal camera on the halfway line, it does look a penalty. It's only when you see it from behind the goal you realise that mm. it's questionable. He's, he's manufactured that contact. Yeah. yeah, but Graham Stewart steps up. Well, no, he didn't step up originally. Oh yeah. right, okay. Neville Southall did, and again it goes. It, you know, it was, we we stepped forward eight, eighteen, sorry, seventeen years, and I'm working with Neville on his book. Right. And I, I, I kept a teenage diary of match reports and, and had one of that day. And I have this interlude of Neville Southall picking up the ball <laughs> and marching forward from his own half. And I'm like, that didn't happen. No way. And I watched, watched the, U, the YouTube highlights and, you know, there's no reference to it. You couldn't really get the match reports on the internet then. So I had no other reference. So I asked Neville about it. And he said, yeah. He said, nobody else was going to do it, so I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so Neville Neville marches forward with the ball, and Graham Stewart, who'd, who'd never who'd never actually scored for Everton at that point, and had never taken a penalty in professional football, took the ball off Neville. And he'd come in from Chelsea. He, what earlier that season? Yeah, he, yeah. He, he'd been our big signing at the the start of the season, our only signing, I think. But um, and he hadn't scored. He hadn't scored. He hadn't really done an awful lot at that stage. Right. And he and he took the ball off Neville. Um, why? Just because thinking, no, we're better off having a striker than a goalkeeper hit it. Yeah, he said. He said. I mean, I asked him about it later, and he said, you know, I couldn't. I couldn't let the goalkeeper <laughs> do it. Um, whereas Neville, Neville um, had scored a, in a penalty shootout in the Full Members Cup in 1987, yeah. and never, ever, ever, and still hasn't let anybody forget about it. <laughs> So, you know, he was, you know, I'm the most experienced player and I've got a 100% penalty record, so I'm going to take <laughs> Graham Stewart's like, no, this is a farce. I'm, I'm taking the ball off you. And Stewart scored and Everton went in at half-time. Hmm. Within. Well, thanks to Holdsworth missing. Oh. 
Yeah. Four yards out, puts the header over. Yeah, I mean, it really should have been 3-1 Wimbledon at half. And then there's another chance he has that, I mean, it's a much harder chance, but um, Gale gets down the left, pings a cross in, and he can't, because there's so much power on the cross, he can't quite control the header. But that was a good chance as well. So Holdsworth missed two really good chances. And and the header he puts over from four yards is is extraordinary. Yes. But but, but again, I'm sure not all Evertonians were maybe as confident as you, but to get into half-time at 2-1 down... They would have probably been thinking, right, blimey, something has to change. And uh, you know, the, looking at other results, you know, on the on the radios and, and and so on and so forth. So the second half begins, and it, again, as you say, Jonathan, you know, there, there are more sort of Wimbledon chances probably than Everton chances to begin with. Well, there's the the Stewart chance that Segers makes a good save from. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. For sort of. Um he ends up taking it quite wide and it's kind of a narrow angle, but Segers kind of yeah, gets himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good block. Uh, but then there's yeah the the, the chance to, it's another hole to the header at the back post yeah and John Abel headed it and, off the line uh, yeah and it, the sort of Holdsworth can't quite work out what's happened and is peeling the handball but it sort of hit him yeah. at sort of the top of the chest um, but also Matthews in a weird position for that he sort of gets drawn towards whoever it is he puts the cross in from the right and he's sort of scrambling back across goal. And that's, that's another great chance of Holdsworth spurned because mm-hmm. he had sort of seven yards of goal to aim at and headed straight at Ebrill. Um So, yeah, I mean, they, Wimbledon had the chances to put that to bed. Yeah, but they didn't. And, and so the game's going sort of a little bit back and forth. And then up steps uh, Mr. Horn in the 67th minute. <laughs> the greatest goal I've ever seen. <laughs> Barry Horn had come in um, to some, two summers earlier and he'd scored on his debut and, and hadn't scored since. Yeah. And hadn't really done anything. Um, and he stepped forward that day. The, the he, he, he took a loose ball off Vinnie Jones and the ball just bounced up for him perfectly. Well, he sort of, he takes a quite nice touch with his thigh, yeah. but it is, it, the bounce is then still very kind. Yeah. yeah. And he half follies it and it's sort of... What, 25, 30 yards out? Yeah. 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 Even 40 yards yeah. out. <laughs> it was about 80 my, yards out. In my, my adolescent memory, but... <laughs> Um, it you know I was right behind the goal and could see the trajectory of the shot and it just goes in the. I mean, it's the, a ridiculous swerve on it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, be- it's a beauty. It's an amazing goal. Mm. There's no chance that he controlled that though. He's just smashed that towards the goal and. He'd never. He, we'd never seen anything like it from Barry Horn. He'd never even <laughs> attempted to shoot outside. Well, and then five minutes later, he tried it again and yeah. not not far over. Yeah, and it went and it went just over the bar. Mm. But at two all, it's it's all change. Yeah. Yeah, it's so Goodison all, Park rocking. Yeah, the game had been drifting then, and Goodison is just insane. I mean, I'd, I'd ended up on the pitch after the horn goal <laughs> in this sort of um, scramble of adolescence. Would it be the last time you ended up on the pitch that afternoon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I didn't have the guts to go on after that. All oh, right, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> after the match. At least you got on there in some capacity. Yeah, um, I mean, I've written about it in the in the blizzard, I think. It'll, it'll be in the next issue yeah. in issue 36. Yeah. Um, I, I, I described it as like drowning, um, but you know I didn't care, <laughs> and I was under this sort of scramble of bodies. And next thing, I'm hauled up by a steward and literally thrown over, f- thrown over the fence, and told to get back in my seat, otherwise I'd be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness! So a two-all. Um, it, it's one of those ones where it's surely it's Everton's now. Um, Everton pushing forward for, for for the goal, and it comes in. Graham Stewart uh, gets another one. Stewart again. I mean, we talk about the greatest goal I've ever seen, and this is possibly one of the most contentious I've I've seen because mm. of what happened 
after the game. Um, Stuart Barlow had come on as a substitute, and Barlow was um, he was a he was an am- he was signed, signed as an amateur by Everton. He, he was a butcher's boy, and was incredibly quick, but just had no composure in front of goal and could create chances. And anyway, he came on, and, and Everton start to wreak havoc in the Wimbledon defence. Mm. Um, and I think Stuart played a one-two of Tony Cotty. Mm. As, as, as like a wall pass. And but it's, it's one of those one-twos where he plays it into Cotty, and then the ball sort of knocked back into his path. So it's sort of a, it's not a classic one-two of where where yeah, the angles are cute rather mm. than oblique. Would you say a wall pass is probably the yeah yeah. yeah. And and so I I think Seg is is slightly unsighted, and I think that gives some some excuse for what happened. Yes, yes, and the ball. Just bobbles, bobbles past. Because the and then Stewart takes it very early, so yeah. balls ping back to him, and he sort of stabs it from yeah. what, the edge of the box, and it sort of just scuttles into the corner. Yeah. And Seg is a bit slow to get down to it, yeah. but of course, as you say, the goal then becomes this sort of great course to lay two or three years later. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can talk about that next, but I mean, Goodison at that stage has just become a, a nasty, vile atmosphere, and the Wimbledon players who were the most intimidating team probably in top flight history or in the last 30 years. I mean, they literally had fear in their midfield. (laughs) Well, they did. They did. But they wanted to get out of there. There was no way that, you know, they'd been offered a trip to Las Vegas by Sam Haman. There's no way they wanted to to be hanging around. So Stewart scores that second goal, nine minutes left, and everybody's whistling from the crowd. People are sort of at the edge of the fences, ready to invade the pitch. And... I, I, to be perfectly honest, I don't remember anything that happened in the last few minutes other than the whistle went and everybody except me runs onto the pitch. And we still don't know the results. Well, that's right. Yeah. The yeah. assumption is that we've just we've just um, stayed up because we've won. But but the manner of that, that win, having been 2-0 down and then to turn it round. Yeah, well, I think Sheffield United went down in the end and they, they conceded two late goals. Sheffield United, yeah, uh, it, it's a... Ipswich are sort of you know, third bottom in the table as it stands yeah. at this point. And then Sheffield United concede, having had the lead, they concede an equaliser and they concede a winner or a loser from their point of view in injury time at Chelsea. Yeah. And that sends them down. And I think there's some ridiculous statistics with Sheffield United that season that they'd never been in the relegation zone until like the last like, 17 seconds of the season or something. That's incredible. Yeah, and, and they end up sort of from nowhere. I mean, they must have been sitting there thinking they were safe. They're winning the game. Yeah. Everton are getting beat 2-0. Uh, Ipswich, I think I think Ipswich drew in the end that day. Uh, Southampton, Southampton also must have drawn, uh, and then suddenly they get they get gubbed in, in injury time. But nobody had any awareness of this at the time. Yeah. There's no smartphones. So there's, yeah. A, yeah. there's a sort of. I was um, sorry, just sort of a, a, a tangent. I was I was at a game in Albania in 2011. I, I went to Albania to escape the royal wedding, and uh, <laughs> I was at a fl- Flamatar against FK Tirana game. And I think Flamatari were going with Skenderberg for the league. And I, I appeared to be the only person in the stand with a smartphone. So I was sitting there kind of flicking through Skenderberg's results and going, yeah, they're, they're winning 1-0, sorry. Uh, but like just sort of all these Albanians are crushing around to see my <laughs> see my smartphone. <laughs> Amazing. Giving, giving me sour plums to, uh, to make me feel welcome. Oh, and did you? Yeah, no. I mean, like, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't order them off a menu, but they're fine. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Uh, but Everton, they survived their their long um, run, if you like, in the top flight was was preserved. Uh, and as you say, everyone runs on the pitch, and it's and it's 
one of the sort of greatest escapes, I suppose, you, you could say for, for a side in, in the top flight. I mean, after that, did Everton, did they feel like, right, we've got away with that. Now we're going to kick on to the, the sort of the highs that maybe we achieved in the 80s or certainly sort of start to go up the table? Yes, there was a, there was a never again yeah. mentality. And then what did they go and do? They, they, they went until the following November without winning a game. <laughs> <laughs> but they did win the FA Cup that season. They did least. win the FA Cup. Joe Royal came in um, after after Walker was sacked. I think Walker was sacked on the 8th of November, having won just one more game after that. And Royal Royal completely turned the team around. But as I say, it was a, it was a team full of big characters and there were some good players there. Um, they had Duncan Ferguson added added to that, and they had you know they had people like Paul Ryder who was very underrated, um, who, who went on to score the winner in the FA Cup final. Um, I think I think transforming a team in the mid nineties was a bit easier than it is now. You, yeah, you, you're not reconstructing the entire fabric of a squad. You're just getting players to play well in their own positions, yeah. which is what Royal did. Yeah, and we should talk about the hand saggers. Absolutely. So. <laughs> Uh, where, where can we start with this? I mean, it comes out in the Bruce Grobelar trial. Yes. That uh, For match fixing. Yeah, that uh, Grobelar had been a, was accused of match fixing uh, and he sued, uh, it was News of the World, wasn't it? The Sun. The Sun. Sued The Sun for, for saying this. And in, in the course of that trial, it, 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 this, this tape comes out in which Grobelar appears to say that Segers was guilty of match fixing and mentions this goal. Yes, so I like working with goalkeepers, so I worked with Bruce on his <laughs> book, and specifically worked on the on the trial aspect and, and went through the court papers. Bruce Bruce is an unusual character. Bruce was being shafted by a former business partner who was a serial con artist, and was stitched up stitched up by the Sun. There was no 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 question of that. Bruce didn't cover himself in glory. As I say, Bruce is an unusual character. So Bruce sort of was intrigued by what his um, his estranged business partner was up to, and wanted to find out, and sort of led him on in the way that you can only really understand if you understand and know Bruce. Um, so it's all there in Bruce's book, and it's all laid out. But of course, it's a, you know it's a colossal news story. You know, it's on the front pages of every newspaper, and Hampshire police launch an investigation. And they're essentially fishing for any connection between Bruce and other footballers that transcends football. And they happened upon Bruce's relationship with John Fashnew. The two of them had talked about founding a sports agency when they retired. And they looked into Fashnew's affairs, and Fashnew had, um, should we say, some unusual transactions um, going in and out of his bank account. Sagers was linked to Fashnu um, because they they had a small business that basically let out properties together. Um, and that was it, really. And they constructed this ridiculous case against the three of them and a, and a Malaysian businessman. Um, it cost 12 million quid, and it was just laughable, laughable. I mean, the key witness was was the aforementioned con artist and the judge would preface every bit of evidence with well well members of the jury you do realize this is a, a serial con artist <laughs> speaking so just bear that in mind yeah 
Um, so it should never, it should never have gone to court. Never mind five times. Um, Sega's was the first to be acquitted. Yeah, and there's just there's absolutely have to say the, the, no evidence against. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, coming back to look look at this game again as research for this. I sort of I knew I knew that goal was was the sort of one that had been held up as being potentially dodgy, and I watch it happen, and then I have to remind myself that there's supposedly something dodgy about because you see it and yeah, Sega's probably should have done better, but you see that kind of goal every week. It's not an absolute yeah. howler. Stewart no. t- takes it quickly, and he's probably partly unsighted. Uh, that kind of goal happens. So and he, and, he, and he made a very good save from Stewart from early in the half. Yeah, absolutely. Early in the half. Yeah. Which is why I always think with the Ramon Caroga thing with uh, Argentina Peru in '78, if Caroga was fixing that game, maybe don't make the six brilliant saves in the first <laughs> half. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, as you said earlier, you know, never again for Everton. I mean, even though it's been a mixed bag, shall we say, for Everton in the in the Premier League since then, they've never been relegated, and uh, they've managed to maintain that top flight status. Yeah, they've not been relegated for sixty-seven years, but they're. they're doing their best to <laughs> try and break that at the record. time of recording yeah um, James it's been an absolute pleasure thanks very much for coming in to talk to us thank you uh, Jonathan always a pleasure Cheers, uh, thank, you. thank you very much for listening to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard we'll see you next week Was a Stakhanov production.